Hello and welcome back to Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, chat some interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today we have a very special guest. We are delighted to welcome Sarah Marie Page, who is literally the double hitter, the complete package. Not only is she an author under the name Sarah Marie Page, but she is also a lawyer who does estate planning, and that's what we are here to talk about today. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I love your Christmas tree in the background. I guess you're not getting any snow in Arizona right now. No, no snow in Arizona, but it's it's raining today, and so my thought is that we would have had a white Christmas if it wasn't, <laughs> you know, 60 degrees outside. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We are really, really delighted to have you here. But of course, you wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Shims and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing well. Thank you, Arun, and welcome, uh, Sarah. Yeah, you know, over here, it's uh, I'm in Canada, and I don't even think we're going to have a white Christmas. So global warming, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so listen, today we are happy to have you on because this is something that... Um, an author had sent me a message about this a while back, asking about this uh, this question, and then I had sent it on to the author newsletter that I sent out on Fridays. Um, and you know, there was a lot of interest about it, and it's the idea of uh, estate planning, and you know, the the fact that you know, when when you pass on, all of your writing uh, it doesn't disappear with you, right? So it's all still there, and somebody has to um, not only take care of it or um you know manage it but they uh need to um get the money for it you don't want it just sticking with amazon or barns or anywhere where you have it for sale right so you want to make sure that all that that stuff is sort of um taken care of and and um just saying oh you know they'll figure it out when i die is not great <laughs> It's not no, a great solution. Not great. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we want to go over this with you. You're you're an attorney that deals with this sort of thing all the time, um, and you know we want to sort of get a list of uh, what kind of things that people have to think about. Of course, you know they should consult a lawyer at some point as well. Um, things are going to vary state by state, country by country, but there are certain things that everyone will need to think about. Certain steps like you know, keep your passwords somewhere that people will have them or, you know, make sure that, you know, this is done and that's done. I mean, you probably know better than I do what all the steps are. So let's uh, let's talk a bit about this and uh, and go from there. Yeah. So I want to start out making sure that we are on the same page. And to preface, you did a great job prefacing. I'm just going to preface again. I am barred in the state of Arizona. Any examples that I give are going to be under Arizona law. Your state might be different, and each state is going to have different rules. So it is important to consult with attorney. Um, But let's go ahead, and I want to lay some basic framework, because I know some people listening to this are probably very familiar with estate planning and have their estate planning done, and some are like, estate what? So laying some basic groundwork, there are usually five different ways that you can pass title to property when someone dies. And this is really titled to anything. So it's titles to um, a house, titled to bank accounts, titled to vehicles, also titled to literary rights. Um, So the first asset or the first way to, to transfer titles to things when someone dies is by owning something jointly with rights of survivorship. If you own something jointly, that means the two of you own it together. And when one of you dies, it passes to the survivor. 
The second tool that we have are beneficiary or pay on death designations. A beneficiary or pay on death designation is like a tag that you put on an asset and you say, this is where I want the specific asset to go when I die. So a common place that you see that is um, beneficiary designations on like life insurance and retirement policies. I should back up and say common place that you see joint ownership is uh, between husband and wife. So uh, we have joint ownership, beneficiary designations. We also have trusts. A trust is kind of like a contract that you can update as many times as you want when you're alive. And when you're not alive, you're not around to update it anymore. And the trust becomes irrevocable and gets administered according to the terms of the trust. And that's kind of an oversimplification of trust. There are about a jillion different types of trusts with like crazy names like Q-tip trusts and Univ, uh, you know, the, just like super crazy names, administrative trusts. Um, but generally, the basic trust that you do with estate planning is called a revocable trust. You can change it whenever you want when you're alive, when you're not alive. Um, it becomes irrevocable. The trust will hold title to property and the property that's held by the trust gets administered according to the terms of the trust. The thing that makes each of those strategies special, joint, beneficiary, and trust, is that we did something fancy to the title. So with joint, we got two people on the title and we said give it to the survivor. With beneficiary, we titled that property in the name of the trust. Or sorry, with beneficiary, we put that tag on that asset. And with the trust, we titled that property in the name of the trust. Can you guys tell that I have given this feel? <laughs> My brain just starts <laughs> forward. Um, I take a very educational-based approach with estate planning, so I really try and make sure that all of my clients have this groundwork before we begin diving into the specific tools that we have. So uh, the fourth tool that we have is something called probate. Now, if you know anything about estate planning, you probably have heard like, oh, you want to avoid probate. And people come in and they're like, I don't even know what probate is but I want to avoid it. I know it's bad. Um, what probate is in simplified terms, only you can sign your name. So I cannot walk into a bank and sign Craig's name for him. That would be fraud. And that principle carries on after you pass away. So if you own assets in your own name, and you didn't use any of the three tools that we just talked about, those assets are stuck in your name. What do you do? Your people that you left behind go to court and they say, Hey, Judge, Craig passed away. Craig cannot sign his name anymore, lest we have um, like a Ouija board ceremony with the where he comes back. And anyways, but Craig can't sign his name anymore. Please appoint me to sign on his behalf. And the court will do that. And they impose a lot of, in Arizona at least, and, and in many states, they impose a lot of restrictions on that so you know they're like okay you can sign craig's name but we want to make sure that you don't run into them run away with the money and we want to make sure that you're doing your job and keeping everybody notified so we're gonna babysit you um that's probate okay the final tool that we have are small state affidavits a small state affidavit says that the value of the you know the value of the assets that would be subject to transfer it's so little that it doesn't make sense to open probate so if you have a bank account and in that bank account there's ten dollars that bank account is in craig's name so nobody else can go get that money because it's in craig's name but does it make sense to go bug the court 
to be able to get that money out? No, it does not. So the people who are entitled to that can go in and say, hey, bank, this amount is so small. I swear I'm entitled to it. Let me have that. The amount that you can pass is going to vary for each state. So for example, Arizona has a very high small state affidavit amount. You can pass up to $75,000 of cash under that small state affidavit. In Arkansas, and I know this because I was looking it up for my sister-in-law who lives in Arkansas, just kind of curious. Um, we were chatting about some general estate planning. I was like, I wonder what it is in Arkansas. It's like $2,000. It's very low. So it really varies across the board what you can pass without that probate. So when you are um, estate planning for someone with literary rights specifically and who's an artist, so this also applies to, you know, painters and musicians and people whose work lives on past them. Uh, I've done estate planning and dealt with music rights actually quite often. They're usually pretty small, the royalties that they kicked off. But um, the first thing that you want to look at, though, is, is how are those titled, like currently? Like, you sit down, like, do you have an LLC? Are you running your writing business? Because you are, if you're writing and you're putting work out there and you're getting paid for that work, you're a business. Whether or not you have formally set yourself up as a business, you are still operating as a business. Um, so how is that business help? Is it, do you have an LLC? If not, you might be what's called a sole proprietorship. A sole proprietorship is basically just, you know, anybody who anybody can say like, look, this is Sarah's cookie shop and I don't have to go incorporate that with the uh, corporation commission for the state. So how, how are those assets currently being titled and currently being managed? It's the first step. Okay. The second thing that we got to think about is what exactly do we want to do with those when we die? Like what, what is the goal and what is your vision behind this? Um, a couple of ideas. So the first thing is you could give it to one person and say, Ronald, or Roland, you get my my writing, my my rights to my writing, and you can do with it whatever you want, and you don't have to share. You, you like you can you can like they just become yours. Okay, I'm loving this yeah. deal. I'm loving this deal. You love this deal. Uh, perfect. I don't know how much you'll actually ultimately get from royalties, but you can have them and then you can you can do what you want. And um, so, so you can give it to one person. You can also, um, you know, everybody has like, if you think of like literary estates, the big literary estates, I always think of like, actually, the one that comes to my mind immediately is Elvis Presley. And like the Elvis Presley estate, it's like currently being managed and they can enter into contracts and like, you know, get the music used in movies and stuff like that. Um, so I know that's a music one, not necessarily a literary one. But, you know, do you want to set up something where there's one person in charge and that one person is going to manage it on behalf of the rest of the family? Um, that's that's another option. If you don't specify in your estate planning, the person that you put in charge to administer your estate or the person that is put in charge by the court to administer your estate will make that determination and, and work with the heirs on that. And so typically, 
when I've dealt with this, and I've dealt with this on the music rights standpoint specifically. So the decedent had some songs that were getting royalties. They were like $5 a year. Like they were like very, very minimal royalties. And she did not specify what she wanted to do with them under her estate plan. Her brother was actually like interested in having these. We had to go get them valued. So figure out like, okay, they produce about $5 of royalties a year. What What is the value of that? Um, you can find someone to value anything. And so you go get them valued and then he takes that as a part of his share of the estate. So everybody gets a little bit more cash and he's offset for the, the music rights and the value of that. Um, but, you know, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, if, unless you're like, a big name author and or like planning on putting out and doing like big things with your stuff after you die, it's probably easiest to just give it to one person and just say, you can have it and manage it and do whatever you want instead of trying to set up something where, you know, there's one person in charge and they're managing it for the family and the, they're cutting checks and royalty checks to the family. The reason behind that is because it's a business like and businesses have cost to upkeep if you're only getting like five dollars of royalties a year or even a hundred dollars of royalties a year or even a thousand dollars of royalties a year you have tax filings that you have to do and you have um you know you have accountings that you have to do to keep everybody updated and in the know as families grow and expand you have more people to keep track of and more people that you are, you know, beholden to for information. And so, you know, if for most people, what I would recommend is either give it to someone specifically or, um, you know, let the, you, you just don't specify and let the family decide and see if anybody, um, see if anybody wants it. So I would also recommend, um, you know, when you're considering like, okay, I'm going to be like the Elvis estate and it's going to like be big and enter into like all these contracts and be managed on behalf of the family. Um, you got to think about like how long this can go on for. There are rules on that. So for example, and each state is going to be different. In some states, there's something called the rule against perpetuities. And the rule against perpetuities is so complicated that there's actually law that says, if attorneys get it wrong, that's not malpractice because it's so complicated. But basically, it's all lives in being at the time that the trust was created plus or the time that the will was created, either one plus 21 years. Um, you can get in some really like mind bendy. It sounds simple when you say it, but when you start running through like hypotheticals, it gets mind bendy. Um, some states like Arizona, you have 500 years. Also, you might want to consider like when the copyright runs out as well, too. So like, do you want it to extend past the copyright or do you want like, does it terminate when the copyright runs out? Is there a way that you can, and I don't do copyright law, so I don't know the answer to this one, but is there a way that you can extend the copyright? Um, Disney's attorneys seem to be doing a very good job at extending the Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's what there I was going to say. Disney's got, figured it out. <laughs> so there have got to be ways um, to do that, but... Yeah, so that's kind of the practical, like, nuts and bolts. 
Um, when you're considering like who to nominate and who to put in charge, unless if you're giving it to someone outright as a gift, here you go. You can do whatever you want with it and you don't have to share with your family members. You know, they can be as good with business or money or as bad with business or money as, as you want. They can, they'll just manage it. Um, but other things to consider, like if you're setting up something that is going to last and for many, like, you know, you're going to be like the Elvis estate where you have someone in charge and making distributions for the era Michael Jackson estate. Um, things to consider for that are you want uh, someone who's like business savvy is what I would recommend. And this is like general like estate planning too. Like if you're putting someone in as you're thinking about who to nominate to be in charge of your estate, you want someone who kind of like understands like business and money and is kind of good at that. They don't have to know everything. Like I have a lot of clients who come in and they're like, well, they don't know like taxes and they don't know the law side of stuff. And from the literary planning perspective, they don't know like copyright law. And like, they don't have to know everything. They just have to be like savvy enough that they know to get help when they need help. Um, So consider putting someone in who's like, business savvy, but also knows where their limits are and knows when they get help. I would also encourage you to consider like the relationship with the other family members. Like, does everybody hate Joey? If so, probably you don't want to go ahead and list Joey as, um, you know, the, the person that's going to be in charge. The thing that, yeah, no, no, Joey. Um, You know, the thing that surprises, I think, a lot of people, so when you think of, like, these big, like, literary estates that continue on for many years, they're not actually, like, technically estates. So an estate is something that you open up through probate, and that's that process of petitioning the judge to sign on behalf of someone. Now, each state is going to be a little bit different, but from my research, it seems like those are mostly actually trusts. Um, The reason is, is that judges don't like to leave estates open for many, many, many years. Uh, in Arizona, you get like two years and then the court will start sending you nasty grams being like, we got, you, you know, you got to relinquish the power to sign on behalf of Craig. You got to like wrap this up, get this done. Um, and so like the Elvis Presley estate, that one actually is a, it's a trust. And so oftentimes these big literary estates, are, they're held in trusts. Um what questions do you guys have any questions? I just spewed a ton of information. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I mean, I think that that's really uh, important information, but I think a lot of it is more specific to people that are, you know, have these big publishing empires or, or a lot of, you know, income coming in, whereas there's a lot of authors that, you know, that listen to this that are self-publishers that don't have a huge amount, but it's still significant enough that, you know, you don't want it to just uh disappear or or get lost and forgotten um you know you might have 10 20 books maybe less that are generating some sort of income um and then but your spouse or your whoever is left behind might have no understanding at all of what you have done right and so you pass away and then they just you know they don't even know about that stuff so i guess you know one of the things we want to sort of think about and talk about is uh, maybe something that you can do to leave behind to make that 
easier to people. And one of the things obviously is like, uh, you and I had discussed this sort of offline is uh, password list, you know, some sort of, you know, a list of all your accounts that have to do with um, publishing and, and your books, let's say, and all the passwords for that. I know for me, I have a um, an Excel spreadsheet that is itself password protected <laughs> and it's on like a Dropbox. And um, so that way I can access it from anywhere because every website in the world wants you to have a secure different password and i and i'm pretty good with that but i can't remember them all so you know if i'm out and about and some and i need a password i can i can go on to that check you know log into that i only have to remember the one password to that excel thing and then that has all my passwords in it um and so for me it's like i've left behind in you know in a spot that you know my significant other knows about uh you know the password to that the location and the password to that is on a piece of paper somewhere that they can find and so that they can access and then they'll have access to all those accounts right um but that's just one way of doing it there's also i know there's a google um uh service that it's free service that uh, basically it's like the inactive account manager i think it's called and if you don't log into your google account for i think something like three months or maybe you can set it it will automatically send an email that you've written, pre-written to uh, your designated person that you want it to go to. And that could have a bunch of instructions as well. Um, and so, you know, just sort of ideas of that. And and what do people really need to know? Like, is, I, I just have that big password dump and it's not just publishing, it's every account, everything I have. But I probably need something where it's like, okay, you know, here's all my books are on this site and this site. You would have to go in here and, and you know, the money is going to come to here and it's being sent to this account. We sort of need sort of almost like a roadmap of, of what you need to sort of tell that person ahead of time or write it down to make sure they yeah. get it. Communication is key. And I think you really hit on that with the passwords. Um, it's super important to make sure that your family knows, one, what your wishes are with your work after you pass away. Like, like what do you, what, what do you want to happen with it? What, like, how, how do you want it to, like, continue to, and, and two, like, how it's set up. And, like, passwords definitely um, matter and are super important to make sure that people know you know, where, like, if you died tomorrow, like, would people know how to access your stuff and where your stuff is? Like, I don't think you have to, like, tell them, like, oh, here's the passwords for everything, but just having a list with your important documents that people can find or telling them, like, hey, I have a password list here if you trust them. Um, I recommend, yeah, printing out a list of websites and holdings, you would be shocked at how many times people come and they're like, I don't know what my parents owned. Or the weirdest one for me is, I don't know what my husband owned. Um, I'm like, how do you not know what your husband, uh, okay, you know, then you end up looking for assets and it ends up being expensive and, and you're possibly losing money at the table. So a list of anywhere, like any bank accounts that you have associated with your Publishing um, is helpful as well. I tell my state planning clients to just print out a statement from that account and to put it in with your important documents. So if you have like an estate planning folder or an estate planning binder, 
You can slip it in there. Most people have some sort of place where they put their birth certificates and marriage certificates and stuff like that. Um, so if you have a spot where you keep important documents, you know, slip it in there and then they can see what that account is and how it is um, titled. And then making sure like, and this goes back to the beginning and what I was saying, like, how is, how, how do you have your author business titled and how are you managing that? Because if you are, if it's like an LLC, you know, you want to make sure that you have steps in place and, and provisions in place where you can put most LLCs are either member managed or manager managed. You know, you want someone to be able to get someone in the driver's seat to be able to make decisions on behalf of that LLC. If you're just running your author business as a sole proprietor, um, you know, can you assign those rights to a trust where the successor trustee can come step in and can, you know, manage things? How does someone get the authority to manage that business? And that's what you got to look at and what you got to think about too. Or do you need the court to go ahead and like give someone the authority to manage that business? You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things to keep in mind and is like you sort of said before, like the idea that people don't even know what the other person owns, even when they're married. And I get that. I mean, sometimes there are, a lot of times there is one person in a relationship that sort of handles all that right because you know it's just what you do you, you split up tasks you know so often that's one of the tasks somebody does the money stuff and somebody does the this you know so um there's very likely like you said a list of assets that the other person doesn't necessarily know about you know they know they have rsps they know or or um you know savings plans or retirement funds but they don't know exactly where they are and what you know so yes that having a list of that printing out the statements like you said is really good but i think as well with with um your writing a lot of the times you, you know somebody in a relationship is the author the other person they have no idea about that world at all and so i wonder just leaving them a list of your assets and saying hey i've got books here uh, you know, they might get them and be like, I don't know what that means, <laughs> what to do with that, you know, information, right? Like, it's almost like you, you almost need like a step-by-step -step thing. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely out. prepare like a letter, like this is how you access the my KDP, you know, Author Central account, and this is yeah, how you exactly. get log into the bank accounts. If and this is what you would need the KDP account for, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is like, why you they, need it. This know. is like, yeah. you know, if you do this, Amazon's going to send you a nasty gram and like, don't, you know, you can. Also, people figure it out. Like I have seen with music rights, especially um, people come in and they're like, and maybe, you know, the music rights specifically, the times that I've dealt with those, they were getting royalties specifically from um a record label and so it was a matter of getting the person who was the payee of those royalties switched and just getting the paperwork in to get that that switched um but people are savvy and can figure things out but yeah if you wanted to prepare like a letter of instructions that would that would be helpful and that's definitely something to consider doing 
So list of passwords. So far, we have we have list of assets, accounts, you know, where you're doing business, what sites are generating revenue for you, um, making sure you that you have. have uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say making sure that you have paperwork in place so that, and this is something an attorney could help you with, paperwork in place so that somebody can access and manage those accounts and those sites without having to get permission from the court. And what that looks like is really going to depend on how you're, how you have things structured. Right. And then I'm thinking too, with social media. So a lot of times an author would have um, a social media following. So, you know, maybe you want instructions on how to uh, communicate, <laughs> you know, your death to, to your social media following or um, what you want them to do close down those accounts, send out a message, you know, keep them going, have some, maybe you already have a, uh, a virtual assistant who, you know, who, who manages all those. Maybe you don't want anyone to know that you died because you read under a pen name and they'll never know. Right. Um, so that kind of thing maybe as well. Yeah. And I will say if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. That's kind of an estate planning rule. I, you would be shocked at how many times people come in and they're like, grandma wanted me to have X, Y, Z. I'm like, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. Quick war story, not necessarily about um, literary rights specifically, but just about somebody's wishes who did not get respected. So if you have specific wishes, write them down. But my husband's, uh, my, my husband's grandpa, so my grandpa-in-law, now picture, he is a surfer dude from the 1950s, like beach bum, 1950s beach bum, okay? And he always said, I want to be cremated and my ashes spread on the beach. That was his wish. He didn't write it down. And the aunt that they put in charge had some deeply held religious beliefs about burial. And her dad did not necessarily share those beliefs. She had those beliefs. And so she said, you're not cremating grandpa, um, and had him buried in a rose gold discount budget Costco casket. So surfer dude grandpa buried in the pink casket. He, I think he might rose have actually Rose gold, yes, from Costco. It was I, on sale. I didn't Costco know you could get caskets. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. I didn't know you could get caskets at Costco. Wow. You can get caskets at Costco. But yeah, it's the same thing with like literary. Like if you have someone that you want to manage things or you have specific wishes, like, hey, will you please, after I die, send this picture and post it on social media and send it to my email newsletter contact list. That's another password to write down if you have an email newsletter and like where that's held. Like is that on MailChimp or like ConvertKit or um, MailerLite or like the pretty common ones now Substack. But you know, like I want you to send out this joke to all of my fans. They will think it's really funny because it's been a running joke in all of my books. Like communicate with that. There is law in Arizona, and I'm sure other states have something similar, um, where if you write down your wishes for, like, funeral, and, like, those have to be followed. 
Right. So what I was going to ask was how um, formal are we talking? Because if somebody, let's say, you know, they're, you know, they're, they write an email to their spouse and say, hey, by the way, if I ever die, this is what I want to happen. Um, let's say, you know, in your case that you gave there, let's say he had written that email to somebody at some point and said, I want my ashes spread around the beach. I want to be cremated, etc." If If then that aunt was put in charge and said, well, I'm going to bury him. But then this other person came up and said, hey, I got this email uh, telling what he wanted. How would that have to be respected? Or does it have to be in a will or something like that? Yeah. So I would say I usually do put like last like requests for the body into the will. Like that. that's where I usually put those. Um talk with an attorney about your state specifically because this is an area where state law like really change and you don't want to do something that will accidentally mess with your other estate planning um for example arizona is one of those weird states that you can change a beneficiary designation with a will and you can make a will if you just like write out like this is my last will and testament i want to give you know, blank to blank to so and so, and so you you can if you get wild with it, kind of like mess up an existing structure. But this is a place where meet with an attorney. Say, do you have in your in my state? Like, do I have laws specific about like if I write down and then like how should I write that down? Is a letter just okay um, in Arizona? I think I would say you know write up a letter um, and sign it. Like, don't just do it as an email, write up a letter, sign it, put it with your important documents. And hopefully you're putting someone in charge, too, that's going to respect and honor those wishes. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, sure, it might not be strictly um, legal, (laughs) but I just wonder whether or not they take those things into account. If somebody had come out and said, hey, I did get this email where he just told me that. I know it's not written down anywhere, but it doesn't conflict with anything that is written down. It's just like he never said. He didn't have a will or he never specified how he wanted his body handled. But look, he sent me this email three years ago saying that. And I mean, I'm I'm sure that the family who he had told that to probably did come and say, no, that's not what he wanted. But if they had something written, would that have given it more weight, I wonder, even if it was just an email or, or I don't know. Yeah, I think if they had something written, that would have given it more weight. Now, if everybody's in agreement, like grandpa's like, please cremate me and spread my ashes on the beach. And everybody's like, and he puts that in writing and makes it so beautiful and like puts it on the front page of all of his estate planning documents and is like, cremation, beach, cremation. And then everybody comes and is like, no, rose gold casket in the ground um like who's gonna like practically speaking and this is like the reality like who's going to contest that but if he did have something in writing i I think that would have helped now there's also the practical reality of okay are you going to like litigate this are you going to bring it before a judge and have the judge you know but I, i i do think that probably would have helped in that case 
Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it really helps people. You were saying earlier, young people figure it out and stuff like that. But it really helps, especially at that time. You know, they're already dealing with the loss of this person to have to figure stuff out and to have to guess at what they wanted. You know, it really just it helps to just leave them some instructions so that for their peace of mind. Sure. Maybe they won't listen to it. But it, but. I think in most cases, unless they really didn't like the person or whatever, you know, they're probably going to be like, okay, well, this is what he wanted. So let's do that. Right. Even if it's not written in a legal sort of document, they'll be like, look, this is, I had this email from last year and he said what he wanted. And so let's just do that. It would just be easier, I think, for most people. Yeah. And I will say most families that I see, they love the person that passed away and they want to do what is right for them. I have people coming and they're like, my mom nominated me to be trustee. And like, I'm in the middle of the messiest divorce and losing my house. And like, you know, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be trustee. And I'm like, you could, you don't have to do it. You could have your sister do it. She's nominated as the second one if you can't do it. And she's like, no, that was mom's wish was that I, I did it. And so like, oftentimes people do take those last wishes very, very, very seriously. And they want to honor those because they see it as a way of honoring you. And I will say many families that I see, like, get along great and everything, you know, everybody agrees and it's just like, you know, doing all the formalities to make sure that the assets are, are transferred to the right, you know, the, the royalties, like, are they going into the account for the LLC? Okay, well, then we want to update and make sure that we have access, like, who's getting that? You know, it's just making sure that everything is, like, flowing in the right direction, not necessarily battling, but... I have seen some really messy cases where people fight over assets because death brings out a good side in people and, and it can bring people together. It can also tear people apart. And I think this is one of those areas where an ounce of prevention can create a pound of pain and a world of hurt for your people, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, people that, I don't know. It's probably a generalization, but I think that that the more money you have, the more likely people are going to be to fight over it. They're likely not going to be fighting over the small amounts that are coming in from a lot of the self-publishers that would be watching this. I don't know. I, I'm sure that's a generalization. Oh, well, okay. So this is what I have come to learn through estate planning is that money often amplifies more of what you actually are. And so if you are a kind-hearted and giving person, money amplifies that. Like using Taylor Swift for an example, um, she gives away like millions of dollars. Every, like every time she like stops somewhere, she's like giving away to charity and she like bonus out all of her truck drivers for her tour. Like money will oftentimes make you more of what you actually are. On the flip side, I have seen people fight over stupid stuff and like spend thousands of dollars fighting over stupid stuff. And sometimes that silly stuff is like the stuff that's sentimental and has a sentimental value. Um, you know, for example, one of the first cases I did was uh, charms on the charm bracelet and fish cups. Two sisters suing each other over charms on the charm bracelet and fish cups. And I was writing up the settlement agreement, like the 20th anniversary charm goes to Sally and the 50th anniversary charm goes to May, like actual lawsuit filed in court. Um, I've had clients come in again with like music rights. And they're like, I know it's probably going to cost me more money 
to acquire these rights and to, um, you know, to, to get them transferred to me and do all the paperwork and all the time. And like, then what the, the, the little bit of royalties that they're kicking off, but they meant something to my dad and this was his art and this was important to him. And because it's important to him, it's important to me that I safeguard it and try and make something of it. And she's like, I may never be able to make something of it, but I want to keep trying for him. Yeah, sentimental things for sure is also something I'm, I'm, I think that people would fight over more, but it's also, and that makes sense. Like, I mean, you, people spend money on frivolous things and you know, hobbies or whatever. So saying, oh, it, it's gonna cost me more to honor my, parents' wishes and, and safeguard something that was important to them is no different than blowing it on, you know, a hobby, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, but hey, there's a lot to, that every, every situation is going to be so different. And I think that the important thing is really just understanding, like, what the basics are that you need to do is, you know, get keeping this list. And, and these are the factors you have to consider. And you know, all that stuff is really, and, and not leaving such a burden on people, even if they can't figure it out, at least give them some direction about where to look, where to start looking and what, what you, you know, your wishes were so that they don't have to necessarily figure it out and um, they don't have to guess at, at how you would have handled things. You know? I would say too, one final note is to make sure that you update things. So like, don't just create a list and then be like, check, done, never have to think about that again. Because if you create something and it was a snapshot of what everything was like, you know, five years ago, ten, publishing moves really fast. And, you know, the, the, there are new things popping up all the time. And now Spotify is doing audiobooks. I mean, that they were not doing audiobooks, I think, last year. That's it's pretty new. And so, you know, just keep keep your list accurate and maybe just like calendar a time to review that. I'm I've heard of authors who are like, yeah, I calendar a time and every month I submit for a new book bub featured deal. And I never get them, but I submit it every month and it's on my calendar to do. I'm like maybe just calendar that like every six months, pull out that password list and be like, okay, did I have, get locked out of my account and have to change my password on something? No. Okay. Did I like open up a new account? Did I like find an, another stream of revenue that I need to now account for? Like, for example, if you branch out and you're now doing like print on demand or like, you know, like, is there something else I need to like account for and put in this just so that they know what's out there and how things are structured? Yeah. I mean, I even forget about some of the things that I've done. And, you know, once in a while I did this experiment a while back where I put a few of my books up on Radish and I just, I forget about that because I did it one and done, you know, and I, but then every once in a while I remember, or I see something about Radish, I'm, oh yeah, and I go in, I look, and I'm like, oh, I earned some money, you know, I just, I totally forget about it. So it's easy for me to forget my own stuff, forget about it, somebody who doesn't understand all that stuff already. So yeah, keeping that list is probably important, even just for yourself. Yeah. I think that might be like the most important, there's been a lot of important stuff that you said over the course of this podcast, but that might be the most important thing. In fact, I think I might go make a list of my passwords after. <laughs> Yeah. So my wife, my wife is very interested in this particular episode. 
and also she got me life insurance <laughs> for Christmas. So <laughs> excellent Christmas present. I will also say like pro tip to anybody who has an Apple, um, like who, who uses Apple and has like iPhones, Macs, like make sure you write down like the Apple password too, because I've, so probate costs, like I tell people it starts about $5,000 to open probate. That's really expensive. And I've opened up probate solely to get an Apple password. So that password to get was $5,000. And, um, you know, that could have been solved just by writing it down. And for a long time, I was like, why did it, why did, why did this guy come to me and, and want me to open up probate for the password? Like he comes to me and he's like, I, I tried logging in. I locked the account. I reached out to Apple. Apple said, they won't release the password without a court order. Can you help me get the court order? I'm like, yeah, that's probate. What you're asking for. He didn't say why. Okay. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I can help you. I can help you do that. As I thought about it some more, it was like all of her password, or sorry, all of her pictures, the pictures of his wife that she had taken all behind that password. Wow. So yeah, I would pay $5,000 for pictures of my husband. You know, yeah, but yeah, so make that list, keep that list updated. Don't just let it sit in a hole, uh, in like a dark and dusty corner of your office, like leave that space for the trunked manuscripts. <laughs> um, and probably put it like with your important documents, is what I would recommend. That makes a lot of sense. Well, unfortunately, we've reached the top of the hour, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But I think this has been a very, very important episode for us writers. I mean, you never know. So you might you might write the next, uh, the, I don't know, the next Hunger Games series, but it doesn't become a bestseller until the day after you get run over by a bus. And so what's your family going to do? Yes, right. exactly. exactly. So stay clear of buses is, is one piece of advice. But Sarah, <laughs> people have... People will have a lot, I think, to, to, to say. A lot of people will be very interested in finding out more. You have your books under Sarah Marie Page. You also, you practice law under Sarah Clifford. Where can people find you in both realms? Yeah, so Page is my main name, and I write under oh. my main name. Marie is actually my middle name. So Sarah Marie Clifford, Sarah Marie Page, I write under my main name. Um, so you can find me at my website, sarahpagestories.com. I have, I, I write a lot of like romanticy. I know that's like really hot right now, but that is my genre. And so I have a short story that anybody who is interested can download and read about, um, a princess to be and a sexy demon prince. If you are interested in finding me on the law side, I, my legal name is Sarah Clifford, and so, and that's Clifford, like the big red dog, not Clifford. With it, anyways, it gets mispronounced all the time. But Clifford, like the big red dog, and I work at uh, Davis Miles McGuire Gardner, we're one of the largest law firms in the state of Arizona, um, based out of Tempe. So, if you are in Arizona and looking to get estate planning done, I'm more than happy to help. Well, that is fantastic. We will obviously put links down there. Do you represent sexy demon priests as a lawyer? No, no I've one yet. But <laughs> if anybody knows of one, I'm sending my way. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. We really, really appreciated it. If you have liked anything that Sarah had to say, if you have any comments or anything, don't be a stranger. Scroll down and leave a comment in the comment section down below. While you're there, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. There's a bell notification so you'll find out every time we have a new episode of Fully Booked. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. So until then, cheerio.